This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50. And it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Oh, hi, hello, and welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. <laughs> uh, singing, it's still weird. I am your host, Liv. Today, I am here with something a little different, I suppose. So I spoke with past guest and archaeologist, Steph Holmhofer, about all things pseudo-archaeology, 
conspirituality, and the so-called documentaries that are so popular these days. So Steph joined me last year during my Atlantis series to talk about similar topics, but we decided to chat again because, well, the misinformation and nonsense kind of like rewriting of history by quote-unquote documentaries and angry white men continues. I think it's really important to talk about these things because even if we aren't necessarily able to change anyone's mind, if they're already like deep into this conspiracy, we can at least reach people who might be susceptible or who aren't even aware of the dangers of the types of media. Like, I don't think any of you listeners are really deep into these types of conspiracies, but at least you'll know what's going on. There are constantly new, again, so-called documentaries that spend all of their time talking about what archaeologists are apparently like hiding or just they're inventing new things about the ancient world and ancient people that are just nonsense and historically inaccurate. They're showing shots of actual ancient sites and purporting to have all of this completely different information that rarely, if ever, actually includes like facts of any sort, let alone real evidence. But that is where the money goes where, when it comes to creating these documentaries rather than to actual real and interesting history or archaeology. Anyway, I might not be fancy enough to get to make a documentary about real history and archaeology, but I can have knowledgeable people on this show to talk about the dangers of pseudo-archaeology and, and how to work against those things. Enter Steph. Also, Steph and I just have a great time talking and it was just a perfect excuse to chat with her again. I will also warn, though, during this episode, I was in the first or t day or two of, of trying out a new ADHD medication, and uh, my brain uh, works a little bit differently than it usually does. But hey, ADHD, am I right? Such is life. It's a bit wacky. Uh, you might also notice some odd jumps in our conversation, and that's because, well, I put in a lot of effort to ensure that we're not talking, we're not naming names uh, and risking any wrath. So there's a lot of things that were cut out. Uh, because I am just one person with a podcast and I cannot be getting myself into trouble as much as I would like to explicitly talk about the very specific people that are doing these things and the dangers that they pose. But you can make some assumptions for yourselves. It's not that hard to figure out. I also mentioned a great podcast that Steph did uh, in this episode. It's the CBC Ideas podcast, and they did an incredible episode about a very relevant person that, again, I won't name, but you can figure it out. I've linked to that episode in this description, and I highly recommend that you all listen. It was seriously interesting and insightful and just really well done, and it was done by the CBC. So, you know, they um, have a bit more freedom and less need to worry about such things. <laughs> Conversations it's never aliens, never a cataclysm. Pseudo-archaeology and documentaries with Steph Holmhofer. So I honestly just kind of wanted to have another conversation about like uh, pseudo-archaeology and and like certainly any level of conspirituality too because that's fascinating in itself and I know that's what you know so much about um just because I've really only had that topic in relation to Atlantis and it really does span so many other things especially that just now keep coming up because of 
ancient apocalypse and ancient aliens and everything. So yeah, yeah just let's just like chat about that wild world because you know so much. <laughs> did you uh, did you watch the Atlantis episode? Is that the one that you watched? Is there a full Atlantis episode? Oh no. Okay, no, no, I did not. I watched the first episode, except that, like, so a friend of mine put it on when we were like having dinner one night, and he was like, he was like, this is like, I know this is gonna make you mad, and so we're gonna put it on while we're cooking, and <laughs> it did make me furious, and I just sort of like talked over most of it by being like, that's bullshit, that's nonsense. He just like is showing a thing. And saying this thing about it, but like there's no correlation. He just like likes to put something up and then make claims about it that actually have no grounding in reality. Um, so yeah, like I kind of just did that for the first like 20 minutes, and then at some point it got turned off. Um, so like perhaps I should have uh, learned a little bit more before we talk all about it. But here we are because <laughs> I also just don't want to give up the views, <laughs> and I'm bad at watching documentaries even when they make sense. It is all good. You don't need to watch it. No, thank you. I don't. I don't think so. Um, but yeah, I mean, t- t- what was the Atlantis episode? I knew there was like connections to Atlantis, but I didn't know he like dedicated a whole episode to it. Yeah. It, well, it wasn't even like a whole episode. That it. It kind of felt like a weird, um, like random inclusion. Almost mm. like one of those situations where maybe he thought people would have been mad had he not mentioned it. Right. Um, just it, it was so out of the blue and his whole thing too is that it's like he's been describing this thing that basically is Atlantis yeah. but he never calls it Atlantis except <laughs> in um uh America before when he kind of toys with the idea of like oh maybe it is time I think about Atlantis and that's kind of what he did mm. in this episode too I'm trying to remember I think it was episode four or five where it just it starts off and he's like we need to talk about Atlantis um and (laughs) it it just kind of didn't go anywhere it was just yeah I don't know it just it was weird it was a weird inclusion in my opinion I don't know yeah what do I know right yeah (laughs) I mean the the whole thing was weird I I should probably watch what I say um (laughs) <laughs> so we'll kind of um work out the best way of handling this yeah <laughs> that stopped yeah. my brain entirely um it's, well okay it's true though like things like that well like things like that are things that we have to think about which is so <laughs> sad like if you think about the the whole free speech or the whole position of i'm being censored but everything yeah. that they do to like silence their critics it's yeah. like, no, man, criticism is not censorship, first of all. Um, but also, like, we're just criticizing. We're not actually trying to stop you from talking. Yeah. Well, and ultimately, what we are doing here and, like, what you've done in other places, too, among so many other people who are speaking out against this, but, like, is just to literally defend archaeology and, like, history and science <laughs> against what is essentially <laughs> slander against those things. Uh, which is like why I think it's important, but also, yeah, it's kind of wild to suggest that like doing that could then somehow be something to worry about. Yeah, exactly. It's just, yeah, it's just a weird, a weird time we're living in where these are things that we genuinely have to think about, like, you know, defending, defending our position or, or not necessarily even defending our position, but just being like, Hey, like these are kind of, in my case, what I like to do is point out, um, 
like characteristics to look for that help people understand why something is is not wrong or, or misconstrued or, or what twisted because it's useful for other things too right mm-hmm. but to yeah think about how like just talking about something essentially in a way that someone doesn't like um how that just gets weaponized um at times against us it's, it's just weird it's just a weird time weird mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Well, you mentioned something there, like now jumping back in, but you mentioned something there Mm -hmm. that I would then love to hear about. So because Mm -hmm. this is something that you do more dedicated, certainly, than I do, you were saying you have like things you tell people to look out for when it comes to dealing with this kind of content. Like what, yeah, what are like the kind of tips you use for this? Yeah, so like that's, my whole thing is that, um, debunking after the fact is is not effective there are studies that mm-hmm. show debunking actually isn't particularly effective and at worst it creates a backfire effect um and so i i don't usually debunk and that's not to say that there's no value for debunking there are places where say like a, a blog or whatever for debunking it is useful it has its place um but i like to uh, pre-bunk it's called, or like inoculate hmm. people where I sort of share information on what are the characteristics of pseudo-archaeology overall? Um, what are things to look for that help you think, maybe I should sort of take this with a grain of salt or look into it a little bit more myself or just not trust it altogether. Um, and these are like characteristics that have been drawn together by uh, many archaeologists over the past uh, several decades. I'm trying to think at least since the 70s, I've seen sort of mm. dedicated conversations about what these characteristics are. And, you know, the number one is like, look for evidence of cherry picking and then taking things out of context, which is all fine and dandy if you're within archaeology and you can recognize when something's been taken out of context. Uh, I understand if you're not in archaeology and you don't have access to all this um, information that we have, sometimes identifying cherry picking, it can be more difficult. Um, but looking at things like, you know, providing an overly easy answer to a very big, complicated question, um, the number one, at least for me, is looking at the comments of, um, stigmatized knowledge. I can't remember if we talked about, I think we talked about stigmatized knowledge last time, um, where it's this idea of somebody's making a, a claim that they say is true, but these knowledge validating institutions, organizations, individuals like scientists, um, archaeology labs, universities, museums, et cetera, et cetera, are like, no, that's, that's not exactly true. And there's several different types of stigmatized knowledge claims. And to me, at least, that's like the most defining characteristic when you see these claims of, uh, you know, archaeologists are hiding truths or trying mm-hmm. to prevent us from getting this information out there, things like that. That's when you have to think, maybe I need to just think about things a little more critically or maybe try to find a bit more information or even just reach out to archaeologists. Like we we love to talk. That's the irony of it, mm-hmm. telling us that yeah. we're like trying to silence people because, you know, we're trying to keep all this knowledge secretive. No, we love to talk. We're just giant nerds and we love to share all this information. So most of us are very willing to chat with people if they want to reach out with questions. Um, so yeah, and in, in the cases of stigmatized knowledge, that's when facts just cease to matter. Facts really don't matter um, at all because stigmatization, those claims of stigmatization uh, or censorship, you know, I'm being censored, 
that becomes the only proof that matters. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it so difficult to like react or talk about things like that show or, or other similar shows and books, because every time we react to it, that's just seen as further proof of stigmatization, which becomes further proof that what's being said is true. So it's just, it's, yeah, it's just a giant mess, but ultimately people just should look for answers that seem a little too easy for really big, big conversations. Um, Look for these claims of stigmatization or claims of um, hiding the truths or suppressing truths, rejecting truths, stuff like that. Uh, And if you can look into, or, or keep your eye open for cherry picking, or if, you know, you're watching something and it just, logically there's a bit of logic missing there there's like a big leap to a conclusion keep your eyes open for that too yeah yeah it's so interesting and I think it's hard I mean it definitely is hard at least on my end like I've I'm now so involved in the world the ancient world that like I have trouble just knowing what is normal to people and what is not like where that cherry picking would come in because I think Like, I just, I I have trouble now recognizing what just any old person does and does not know about the ancient world. And, like, I realize it just, it's a lot less than I think. But I just, I'm so deep. Like, I get, I I have a couple of friends who now sort of take it upon themselves to, like, ask me anytime anything comes up. And it's always, like, mysteries, so-called mysteries, right? Like, so I'm always getting these texts from friends now where it's like, so this mystery, is it actually a mystery or is it pretty well sorted? Like, uh, the same friend who made me watch ancient apocalypse because he just thinks it's funny also texted me the other day being like so the bronze age collapse is it actually a big mystery or is that kind of overblown and I'm like, thank you for asking let me tell you all about why the bronze age collapse was not actually a collapse but more of a bronze age transition and blah 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 blah. you know so like it, it's interesting to me that that like as much as i thankfully have this kind of like grounding knowledge but i'm i don't know this is sort of a spiraling story but it's in- at least people are interested, even if their knowledge base is definitely always less than I think. And I need to remind myself constantly that like not everyone spends all of their time looking into ancient mysteries and then memorizing all of them or like not mysteries, actually. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know. It's also fascinating, too. That's why I want like as much as I, you know, I don't watch those things, but I'm still interested in where they're coming from and interested in in. Like, I, I mean, I, I like the debunking side, but I recognize what you're saying, too, where it's not productive in in like many cases. I think, thankfully, my show is a good instance of it being productive um, to an extent, if only because my listeners have like a good grounding. And so they are they probably weren't taken in to begin with. They're like ready to hear the reasons yeah. why it's not, you know, accurate. And then they can then use those in their own lives. And I enjoy thinking about that. Like I know that the Atlantis series yeah. was beneficial for that kind of same reason, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and that's why I say like, there is still a place for things that do mm-hmm. debunk. Um, there's a really interesting little article that came out. Uh, I think it was last year about, um, how critically ignoring things is sometimes just as important or a better response than actually uh, loudly responding to things. And one of the things they pointed out was the benefit of having things like lateral reading um, sources, or I would consider podcasts as well, like lateral listening, um, where, you know, somebody is watching a show or, or reading a book or whatever, and yeah, maybe they're like sitting on the fence and they just sort of quietly take it upon themselves to start 
looking into things a little bit further and they come across a podcast like yours where you've got lots of really cool people talking about really interesting stuff or they come across a blog um, about say Gobekli Tepe or Oak Island or whatever the there's like specific examples in mind, which is why I pulled out Gobekli Tepe in Oak Island. Yes. Um, and so they find these sites and they just quietly go and read and, and learn more themselves. And that's, that's what lateral reading or lateral listening to uh, listening is um, what I'm thinking of for debunking or places for debunking. Um, yeah. But debunking as like a direct response to something in say heat of a moment or, you know, day after whatever, um, that's where it's not particularly effective. And there was mm -hmm. like a couple of really interesting studies on, um, they took Facebook pages in particular, debunking Facebook pages and conspiracist Facebook pages. And what they ultimately showed was that debunking, it, it just, um, creates or reinforces echo chambers. So yeah, the people who are more likely to listen to the debunking or read these threads or these blogs or whatever, the people who are already um, believing that or, or interested in that. And, and what they showed was a backfire effect where um, say the conspiracist did decide to interact with the debunking um, page or comment or whatever, they're actually more likely to go back and talk about these things more in the conspiracist circles. And it sort of reinforce their ideas of something, which is the same as what we were saying earlier about reacting to stigmatized truth. Um, how do we react without reinforcing it? So that's why uh, debunking, direct debunking isn't particularly effective. Um, mm. But it, I, it also just depends on what your purpose is and what you want the audience or what your audience intended audience is and, and things like that all go into how you write threads or do podcasts or stuff. So there's a lot to consider when we react or decide to engage with things. And it's very complicated. It's more complicated mm -hmm. than I think many people realize. Um, you know, you think about claims of conspiracy or, or stigmatized truth and people brush them off as kind of just kooky and silly and um, simplistic type of things. But no, it's very complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... I think it, it kind of reminds me of that phrase that I'm going to forget what it exactly is. So uh, bear with me. But it's like that, you know, it's hard to convince somebody of something when they're like livelihood or whatever. It depends on not believing it. That's a really bad quote of a phrase. But like this idea that like the, the conspiracists are already so deep into something that then like seeing a debunk is just going to make them angry because it's like completely threatening what they've determined is their way of life. And then, yeah. So it's like, if you're already too yeah. deep, a debunk is like deeply unhelpful. Um, yeah. But it's, it's at least nice yeah. to have this kind of access points to people who have just sort of that, that vague interest and actually want to know more and are like open to critically viewing something. Um, like the, the, one of the things that kind of spurred the idea of of talking with you was that I listened to that CBC ideas podcast it was mm. ideas right before I say that yeah, confidently was. yeah great <laughs> yeah that CBC ideas. ideas podcast that that you uh <laughs> did recently it was really interesting and like it was it was interesting for me because like a lot of the stuff I did know and then a lot of the stuff I didn't um mm -hmm. like I learned a lot more about um the the books Graham Hancock mm. had written in the past and things that mm -hmm. I did not know 
um, about those, which kind of exploded my mind. So I would also, I'm going to link to that podcast in this episode's description because I would also really recommend that anyone listen to that as well. Cause it was really well done and really interesting. Um, and like had a lot of great information that I probably won't try to go into. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah it, it's so interesting having those those like even just the way you could so easily say like oak island and gobleki tepe because they are mm-hmm. like and it's like the same with atlantis right they're like all one in the same this like notion yeah. of something that has become so commonplace like i think atlantis stands out in a li- in certain ways but certainly closer to the gobleki tepe which i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but it, <laughs> it sounds close enough <laughs> um but yeah it, it's like these things that people just sort of you take in through I guess just pop culture and like media broadly Mm -hmm. and then you immediately kind of have this idea that seems reasonable because all the stuff that is sort of the loudest in the room wants to Mm -hmm. make it sensationalized and mysterious and like Mm -hmm. everyone loves a mystery um but yeah I mean that it's another thing I've said to the friends who keep texting me about whether something is in fact a mystery is like there, it, there's very few actual mysteries about the ancient world because if it's if it's like a mystery, it's typically just that like we don't have a source or something. Like it's not some yeah. big conspiracy mystery. Like the first kind yeah. of interaction I had with this is I I saw this Instagram reel that had gone like super viral. It's from an enormous account. I forget what it is now, thankfully, but like. It was this guy, and he's one of those guys on social media that, like, talks really loud and really fast. And so it sounds like he knows exactly what he's talking about, and he's not wrong at all. And mm-hmm. his his claim was that he was, like, Uh-oh. talking about uh, – yeah, it was wild. He was, like, talking about the ancient Mycenaeans, you know, and and how they were – you know, what they built. And he it, he also peppers in, like, a lot of accuracy. So he's, like – these are the Mycenaean palaces. Like this is linear B like, you know, this is bronze age Greece. And then he's like, and then boom, it all disappeared complete. Like <laughs> nobody knows where they went and it was gone. And then the mm-hmm. Greeks plunged into a dark age where they lost the <laughs> ability to read the written word. Like he suggested that it was like their brains just kind of like, boop. like suddenly oh, no boy. one's reading. They physically can't. And then he's like, from this dark age where there was no language, like the very real singular man, Homer <laughs> came about and he wrote the Iliad and he was so brilliant because he wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey in a time where there was no language. And I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> so, but oh, like boy. the number of people that read that and believe it because, or see it and believe it because it's like, it's a mystery that sounds exciting. It's mysterious. And it has these peppered in accuracies. Like, yes, the Mycenaeans were real. Yes. They had linear B. Yes. The Greek language changed. Yes. There was like a big transition. No, there was not a dark ages, let alone, you know, what a dark age actually means. And it's just so many things. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) My brain is so not coherent right now, but it's just like, it's fascinating to me the the way these things take off. And I guess just this idea that like, everyone wants a mystery and I'm sorry that there aren't actual mysteries that aren't like just rooted in weird nonsense pseudo-archaeology and like half the time mm-hmm. they're rooted in racism and it's just so many things yeah. never never let facts get in the way of a good story isn't that what they say mm-hmm. um 
but and it's interesting actually too in this example um it's another opportunity to talk about stigmatized knowledge because Mm -hmm. there are five types of stigmatized knowledge that were identified by michael barkin political scientist um, very influential work very informative work um and of the five types of stigmatized knowledge the most recognizable types are these claims of suppression or rejection or ignoring information but there's also one called forgotten knowledge claims of forgotten Mm. knowledge where humanity went through this period of time where there was some sort of cataclysm some something destructive happened and we today have sort of just forgotten about that period or um you know there's things that are, are lost because of those cataclysms or and we've just sort of forgotten about them in this example what you're saying here is kind of a little bit reminiscent of these claims of forgotten knowledge this idea of like people just lost their language through or, or writing systems through this cataclysm um mm-hmm. no it, you know it doesn't really happen like that um that's the thing like there's a logic mm-hmm. there's a just this big like blank space where the logic should be you know like it 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 reminds me I mean even the way you said cataclysm like I mean that is a at least from what I have seen um of the show it like that's kind of the whole basis is that there like there was a let's call it a cataclysm so we're using certain words less I guess um (laughs) and like somehow you know all the what would be obvious proof is lost like because mm-hmm. the thing w- that I always feel, and I know it's because I'm in this privileged position of of having knowledge that is not mm-hmm. common, you know, in the broader world, like, but the thing that always comes up to me is, is like, why wouldn't there be more evidence? Like, if there, if, if there is this, it's like Atlantis, right? If there yeah. was an actual lost enormous island that was whatever people want to think Atlantis was, depending on who you're talking to, like, it's simply impossible that all evidence would be lost. Like that's just not how the world functions. And it applies to so many of these big mysteries is like, there would be more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you think about the fact that so many of these claims, um, these pseudo-archaeological claims, are very big, to do with something that's very big and grand. So Mm -hmm. Atlantis, for example, or uh, uh, let's say extraterrestrials, uh, maybe extraterrestrials from Atlantis or Atlanteans from (laughs) outer space. (laughs) Because that happens. Uh, But so like... (laughs) You know, it's these these big claims of of these very grand um, cultures or, or societies coming down and influencing, yeah, everybody in the world, giving them technology and knowledge and skills and all these things. And then all of that information or all that, yeah, evidence, like, you know, why are, it just gets wiped from the earth. So why are people, they're not written records over here about this big grand place, Atlantis, if it was so big and so... Um, you know, picking fights with everybody and going off and doing their thing in all these places outside of Atlantis. Why is nobody else talking about it? Nobody else Mm -hmm. writing things down because there are so many places around the world that had very intense record keeping or um, people writing down like everything, right? Where is that information, let alone the Mm -hmm. physical Mm -hmm. uh, remnants of a place like Atlantis, but just the written information, where is that? It's not there. It's nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, people just come up with all sorts of excuses to try to explain why that is. And that's where you look for those leaps in logic or or missing pieces and and whatnot. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's kind of always the same. 
Well, Atlantis is a bad example for that because Plato did it himself, where he was mm-hmm. like, the the because he I think even in in his dialogues he's like the language changed or something like he even had he put something in there for like a reason why the Greeks wouldn't remember it from Athens. It's like, dude, you made this worse. Like it was already bad. Yeah. <laughs> like you, yeah. you, you on, like Plato. are part of the conspiracy. God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Plato, yeah. come on. Thinking about things, Truly too. a troublemaker, honestly. That guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's true. It's true. It's just, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's, it's all generally so fascinating. And I think so much of it also comes down to, and who knows how much we can talk about this, given both of our fields, but like it, it of course, the actual pop culture, like the actual media that makes these things available other than things like podcasts and and blogs and whatever like things that just regular people create like all of the media creating this stuff is putting all the money into the mysteries and and with Mm -hmm. no interest in in actually validating or confirming anything so it, it as soon as you see it on tv i mean i think that that's less true now but certainly is true for an older generation and was true you know, a couple of decades ago, mm-hmm. but it's like when you see something on TV, it inherently becomes more believable. Like you want to believe it yeah. because all of these talking heads are trying to convince you of it. And so, yeah. yeah, it's, it's difficult to, to get past that or even to deny it because all the, the money and the backing, the media itself is much more concerned with making money off of a mystery than making money off of mm-hmm. in our nice archaeologist talking about how, you know, what actual archaeology is like. It's true. Things like this, um, they sell. Like you say, they make money mm-hmm. for um, places like Netflix and Amazon Prime. They make money for people on YouTube. Um, because, yeah, I mean, people are inherently interested in this mystery. Um, and so, and pop culture itself also is just super influential in conspiracism in conspiracy theory circles of all types um pop culture has a really really influential role because uh a lot of folks i shouldn't say a lot of folks but there are folks um conspiracists who are creating media companies designed to intentionally blur the lines between reality and fiction Mm -hmm. um but then that's also just happening already there's so many folks who watch um uh, for so, for example, I was watching uh, while I was working out this morning. I turned on this documentary, documentary about <laughs> um, the founding of America, and how it was. They were trying to connect it to um, Francis Bacon and the idea of the New Atlantis. Okay. and uh and freemasonry and they went on sure. a lot in this show about the movie the national treasure movies and how okay. the national treasure movies painted freemasonry in a very positive light and they were absolutely convinced that freemasons were involved in making this uh these movies <laughs> and they were like filling these movies with truthful um esoteric knowledge that only select people would have uh understanding of and and things like this could decode it um and so and that and it's not even just national treasure sorry my chair keeps sinking um i just keep going lower and lower lower. (laughs) um like atlantis my chair is atlantis there you go Um, right but so yeah it's not just national treasure either it's 
all sorts of movies are seen as these forms or these places for soft disclosure, where the idea is that insiders were involved in making these movies and hiding oh. um, specific knowledge, tidbits of knowledge in these movies, making it easier to spread that knowledge around. Like people aren't very upfront, like, oh my gosh, like, no, I can't listen to this. It just kind of eases people into it. And then also um, codes for people who already know what they're looking for type of thing. And right. so you have, um, when something gets put out, like you were sort of mentioning, when something gets put out on variety of, of media, it does sort of become this legitimizer media acts as this legitimizer in many different ways. Yeah. That's interesting. Bad, I hadn't bad thought ways about too. Yeah. Yeah. National treasure. Just sort of taking that in. I love the idea <laughs> know, right? of a Nicolas Cage movie being like, <laughs> like in that, mm -hmm. I mean just the thing to take anyway that's yeah that's really interesting it, it reminds mm -hmm. me of like I mean I it just makes me think of like the entire Illuminati conspiracy which I don't even know much about but it, it I feel like that's one that's like talked about so much that it must just get an increase in like you know uh, uh, people believing in it just because it is referenced in so many things and it makes me think of that like maybe it's an insider like they're all just referencing the illuminati so so that we don't think it's real because it's really so real i i didn't get very far into this um show but illuminati is in the title of it uh perfect perfect yeah yeah i personally <laughs> yeah. got an email inviting me to join the illuminati recently oh, i think it was legitimate nice yeah they yeah, wanted oh, to for sure. promise me a lot of power and control over the world. All I had to do was give my email address and my name. Oddly, they did not ask for a credit card, but I imagine that would have come later. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think you have to sign up first and then you pay your dues. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they had a Gmail account with the word Illuminati and a couple of numbers afterwards. So I think it was pretty legit. Oh, yeah. That sounds really legit. For sure. <laughs> Trust the numbers. So that means I'd, I'd really made it. Uh, it's fascinating. It's, yeah, so, so I... Yeah, that's all it takes. Um, yeah, but I mean, the idea of soft disclosure, like what a good phrase. And just that mm -hmm. that entire idea of like releasing that kind of knowledge in that kind of way. I mean, I, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't even, <laughs> I, I was like sitting down to get on this call and I was like, I really did not think enough about what exactly we're going to talk about. Because I just knew all you, that's in your head is interesting. Um, but I have to like actually <laughs> so ask much you the right questions knowledge. to get it out. Yes. But like, it's fascinating. <laughs> and I just don't know. Like, I just, I know Atlantis because I kind of forced myself to learn it. But yeah, I, other than just like vaguely paying attention to random things, I feel like I don't know enough. I did, I found, mm -hmm. I was in a local bookstore here recently and I found a, a book about Atlantis that I'd never heard of before and it was pretty oh. wild actually you know what maybe nice. it wasn't even about Atlantis I think it was about no I think there was like Atlantean references but it was actually mm -hmm. about um a, a claiming that the Trojan War happened in Portugal and that mm. actually it like was a whole Atlantic and so I think Atlantis did come in but it was like a whole Atlantic endeavor like as if Everything there, took place um, on that side. There, There is a guy who claims that Atlantis was actually in Portugal. And he claims to have found oh, okay. um, proof of it in Portugal. I can't remember where in Portugal. I, I was in Portugal recently, but I didn't have time to go looking for Atlantis. But um, No, that's too bad. Yeah, there's a guy. <laughs> there's a guy who does talk about Portugal a lot in relation to Atlantis. <laughs> I was on Santorini last year, and I did not see any proof of Atlantis. But 
again yeah i did not go looking all that far actually that's not true santorini really loves to use (laughs) the idea that they're atlantis (laughs) so it's probably a bad example um atlantis atlantis (laughs) books was closed unfortunately so i didn't get i'm sure that they have the proof there yeah yeah oh for sure This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear.
Yeah, it, it's so, I mean, I, I just kind of wish, I, I guess, and this is like purely my nerd, but I just wish that like there was media that wanted to make exciting, like high budget documentaries about yeah. real stuff, even real mysteries. Like I just, yeah. I, I can't help but thinking about like the mystery cults, like those are actual yeah. mysteries. Less so elusive, mm-hmm. we know a decent amount. I personally am completely obsessed with the Samothracian mystery cult, which we know very little about. And I'm like, great, let's do that. That's an actual mystery. The word mystery yeah. is in the title. It's where we get the word, so you know it's always been that way. Like, let's talk about that instead yeah. of yeah. nonsense exactly. mystery. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I also wish that folks were more willing to to put together something like that Netflix show, but for um, actual like archaeological historical things and you mm-hmm. you get the right people in there talking about this stuff. And it's just like endlessly fascinating. Um, and it's just, I think there is an interest there for it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's, it's hard for people to access, but oh, I would love, I, yeah, I would really love to see something really high budget and really exciting um, talking about even talking about these things and breaking these things down, mm-hmm. um, I think would also be super interesting. And, and the irony too, the the funny thing is I see a lot of, I saw a lot of reactions to um, that Netflix show uh, on social media. <laughs> I'll just keep calling it that Netflix yeah, show. Yeah, I think it's safe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I was watching a lot of reaction on um, Twitter in particular and, and TikTok a little bit too. Um and, and a lot of people were saying, you know, archaeologists should be more grateful because, you know, we have no money and shows like this will generate interest and save the discipline and get us oh, all this dear. money. And and it shows, you know, there's an interest in archaeology and we need to be grateful for it. And and I, I think, no, that's not the case. There, it shows there's an interest in pseudo-archaeology. Um, and I think I do genuinely think that some people will get caught up in that who are looking for archaeology. And unfortunately, this is what they get access to. Um, mm-hmm. Because there's so much there is a lot out there already about archaeology on YouTube podcasts. Um, there are some excellent documentaries out there. But there is just nothing like a regular series show. And I think that would be really, really cool, and really helpful as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think that Netflix show is going to do anything to help archaeology. No, I mean, if anything, it, it's like discounting archaeology. And that's what happens mm-hmm. in so many of those shows. Because mm-hmm. in order to make anyone believe their theories, they have to suggest that archaeologists are lying or they don't know what they're talking about or all these different things. Because, I mean, it, like, I mean, we were talking about this at the top with what you're saying, but like the the biggest thing, the biggest way to deny any of these things is that no archaeologist is talking about it and so you have to say they're lying because they're not talking about it and the reason not talking about it is because it's not true and because typically they have like proof otherwise like it's yeah yeah i think that's and that's the thing is when um we watch shows like this i think the the question really should be like be thinking about beyond what's necessarily being said about archaeologists like i to be honest, one of my complaints is about the way that archaeologists reacted to the show is that we centered mm-hmm. ourselves um, mm-hmm. overwhelmingly. And sure, yeah, we should be concerned about what's being said about archaeology and archaeologists. But we have to question why is this being said about archaeologists and archaeologists? Why are show hosts like 
the host of that show and other shows. So, I mean, that show in particular went, went really hard on it. Mm-hmm. Why exactly do they want to discredit and, and completely move archaeologists out of the way? What is the purpose of that? And we have to kind of now keep looking a little bit further in the distance of like, okay, so say they successfully get archaeologists out of the way and discredit archaeologists and nobody now believes what archaeologists or trusts archaeologists. For what purpose? What are they trying to get out there that we perhaps are preventing um, being said or, or criticizing being said, I should say? Um, mm-hmm. What is the purpose of those alternative theories? And in the case of that host, like I don't think he's intentionally being malicious or intentionally writing or, or speaking for that very, I've brought this up before. I don't think he's intentionally writing or speaking for a very far right audience, mm-hmm. um, but they find a lot of value in his work. Um, mm-hmm. And I have seen some of their reactions to the show as well that really drive that point home. And so that's what we have to think about as well when we're reacting and, and engaging with things like this, like, yeah, it sucks that our feelings are getting hurt in this process, but we're not the only ones that we should be concerned about. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we need to talk more about, uh, you know, Indigenous histories being stolen again and, and rewritten and why are they being rewritten and what are the impacts of that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, brings it perfectly to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is like the reason why it's a big deal. It's not just like annoying that these shows, you know, are wrong. It's not just annoying that they're discounting archaeologists and real archaeology, but it tends to be by and large that by suggesting all of these things that are not accurate and are not based in history and archaeology, like whether intentionally or not, you end up discounting the people who actually lived there and actually did the things. Um, There's a, a... tweet going around today I don't know actually the place that was referenced but it was a tweet by a major tv show that talks about this stuff quite a bit on a certain channel that has a word in it um that describes what we're talking about and and basically Mm -hmm. it was like it's a room an an ancient structure and like this big epic room and they just had to Mm -hmm. show this picture and they're like look at this incredible structure could it have been built by aliens and it's like no it was built by the people who lived there in the ancient times. They were incredible. Um, and, yeah. and and that comes up so often, but but by and large, yeah. what it ends up doing yeah, is discounting their actual abilities. And of course, very often, though not exclusively, the people being discounted are not Western and white. And, mm-hmm. and so like it, it just then inherently has these racist aspects. Of course, it was really obvious in the Atlantis stuff. Once I went into the history of like where it all comes from, you know, hundreds, mm-hmm. a couple hundred years ago, but it's so true for everything. I don't know enough about Goblucky Tepe, but is, is that a, I mean, I think it, I would imagine it's a pretty good example of that happening. I don't know how much you know about it either, but, or I mean, yeah. Just, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about this whole concept. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I see Gobekli Tepe being um, brought up periodically in, in those spaces as well. Um, sometimes in the concept or, or the context of, yeah, the, the people there didn't build it themselves. Someone else, either extraterrestrial or, uh, you know, a, a superior white um, culture had to build it for them. 
um, mm -hmm. or other times, yeah, I see the, the further into the dark corners of the internet I go, <laughs> I find the people who are like, uh, no, it was actually like our white ancestors who built this and you're just wrongfully giving it credit to um, other people. They're a little bit more aggressive about it. Um, really? And what a surprise. <laughs> I know, Sorry. shocker, right? Because <laughs> my sarcasm just comes out of the wrong time. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, you've got that approach of, like, you know, is extraterrestrials or Atlanteans taught people how to build it, or it's, yeah, it's the opposite, where it's like, no, they didn't build it at all. Um, mm -hmm. And shows and, and podcasts and YouTube videos and TikToks and all these social media things, when people are putting this information out there they're proposing these sorry i got cat hair flying around um they're proposing My these cat theories jumped up and... on me like two seconds ago so <laughs> <laughs> nice i'm surprised it hasn't happened yet my cat one of my cats is very chatty and he's been just like marching around shouting. I can hear him. Oh my god, that's my cat nine times out of ten. Yeah. I, I... Yeah. <laughs> yep. <It's the> best. <laughs> right. Um yeah so the people who are putting these theories out there um if that is not their intended audience and, and I, I don't think everybody is intending that to be their audience, but mm -hmm. that, the fact that needs to be recognized is that is an audience that does find value in their work and there needs to be some sort of responsibility for, uh, for that. So mm -hmm. in the particular case of, of this show host, he, I think, has um, reacted to that side of things once in his response letter to a certain archaeological association uh where he essentially yeah threw up his hands and was like well it's not my problem it is though it is mm -hmm. your problem if you know how people are using your work and you are doing nothing to stop that um that is your problem yeah it's such a white man response to just say that's not my problem oh, my like it just really is like i just can't see anyone else saying that i it think it really is yeah and it's not like just it, pseudo archaeologists either right like I, i've seen yeah. archaeologists respond the same way yeah yeah um, definitely <laughs> so <laughs> there's just all around people need to take responsibility if you don't want you can't obviously you can't control at many times how your work is being taken up or, or mm -hmm. used i recognize that but that doesn't mean that you've lost control about saying something about it yeah yeah i mean you put the stuff out there it's it's mm -hmm. inherently your responsibility. I, it's funny because like I, some of my earlier episodes I didn't research as well. At, well, not, I mean comparatively to how I research now, it's like I didn't do anything at all. I just and and like sometimes people will learn something from me, and I'm like shit, that's wrong, and like I have to like do this whole response of like, and it's literally like a myth fact. You know, it's like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter ultimately, like also not, not least because Greek mythology has so many variations and all these different reasons why ultimately somebody learning like a vaguely wrong mythological thing from me is like not the end of the world. And I'm like, oh God, I've taught somebody the wrong thing. What am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? And I just think that's such it, yeah, it's just so indicative of how different types of people handle things yeah um, exactly and it's so easy yeah. for like certain people to be able to just kind of wipe their hands clean when yes. they're not the ones who are now dealing with those impacts of being told that you don't actually have a connection to this land or this this site because someone else built it it wasn't you that has real world ramifications and you know if you're not the one who has to deal with those ramifications it becomes a lot easier for you to just wipe your hands clean of it which shouldn't be the case yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, okay, where am I going with this? It's all so interesting. And yet, can I form like a question about it or like a statement? Barely. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's so interesting the way that these things then end up spiraling and like so easily seem to shift over into the darker side of the world. And so often I think it's because of the internet broadly, because it's really easy to get into the dark side of anything on the internet. And, and so often, like even I'm reminded how easy or like how, I guess like how many people are so stuck in certain ideas that they Mm -hmm. get incredibly defensive Mm -hmm. if they're suggested to be otherwise, even when they're not like full on conspiracies. Um, But yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but it just, I think it, I mean, it applies to all Mm -hmm. of this stuff, this idea that like once you have this concept in your head, like even just me talking about how the origins of Atlantis are inextricably tied to racist theories Like, people Mm -hmm. got really mad. It's funny because barely, I got barely any response on the podcast. And I think that says Mm -hmm. a lot about how podcasting works and how until Spotify made a certain change, um, it was really (laughs) hard to, like, immediately access the podcaster to to profess your thoughts on, like, Mm -hmm. something like YouTube. But I posted on Instagram. That's the big difference. Mm. I posted on Instagram a reel that was just like, hey, here are the rational reasons why um, like the origins of Atlantis are tied to racism. And people were just like so angry. And I was like, how are you mm-hmm. so tied to the idea of Atlantis that me stating facts about it? I, I want to say history, but what I mean is like the in the idea of it that came about in the last 300 years, you know, that I talked mm-hmm. about so much on the, the podcast. But the, those ideas, those recent ideas mm-hmm. are incredibly tied to racism, even if the ancient one mm-hmm. was not. And like... I don't understand why people can get you point out these things. They're so accurate. Like you're using sources. I mean, granted it's a real, so it's like one minute, but like people get so worked up or it even happened when I tried to talk about, I think, um, Oh, the dark ages. I like made a post about how the, the term dark ages is also problematic. It, it, mm-hmm. it actually refers to a lack of sources. It does not, you know, say anything about yeah. the people of the time or whatever. And, I basically said all of that and I was like and on top of that the Greece didn't have one we have records from that time period it's no longer called the dark ages by people who are you know in that field whatever like people get angry at that too on the internet and so I think it all just I mean I'm just full of anecdotes apparently today but it all gets tied back to these same (laughs) ideas where like it's so easy to to have Mm -hmm. any thoughts that you have like spiral into these really dark ideas because the internet is just so reactionary and like ready to be mad and tell people you're they're wrong about everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and especially when it comes to something like um atlantis which a lot of people or has been tied to this idea of progress the atlanteans were really impressive people who went and spread knowledge to all the civilized people around the world yeah uh the moment you try to point out to somebody how that's quite problematic um if it's somebody who believes that they've benefited from that of course Mm -hmm. they're going to get really defensive they don't want to have their positions of power challenged um just like in so many cases of, of trying to challenge whiteness or white supremacy, uh, the people who benefit from those systems, they don't want to lose that system. So they get really, really defensive and angry and snappy and try to shut things down. Um, and especially, yeah, it's interesting too, talking about the difference between reactions on 
podcasts versus Instagram, thinking about the audiences too in each of these spaces, because mm-hmm. um, Instagram is definitely, there's a lot of um, conspiritual um, stuff on Instagram. So I'm not really yeah, that surprised that people would react that way in Instagram. And if thinking about what we were saying earlier about YouTube comments too, watching how people react on YouTube versus mm-hmm. how they react on Twitter versus how they react on Reddit. Um, yeah. And then yeah. not even going to get into the really dark fringe social media <laughs> yeah, places that are <laughs> yeah, deeply unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it too, it all, it comes down to, I mean, this is basically what you were saying, but like where people, like the people that are on there. Yeah. Because people, there's a lot of conspiracy and conspiritualists and all that on, on Instagram and YouTube. But it's also, I think people like where, why they are accessing a thing. Like I think people Mm -hmm. a lot of people who access podcasts are looking to learn not Mm -hmm. all the time there's a lot of podcasts that are not about teaching but like certainly if somebody's coming to mine I think they have this idea that they're going they are looking to learn something yeah and so if you're accessing a podcast you're like I'm you're open-minded enough to learn whether you know you might react badly what have you versus coming across a reel you're just on Instagram and you're like in it's like a reaction immediate because it's an immediate reaction because of you you, weren't, you mm-hmm. didn't seek out that knowledge and somebody's trying to throw mm-hmm. it in your face that like this thing you think you knew, you know, is mm-hmm. racist and then you're just immediately mad. And yeah. or I mean, it reminds me of my reaction when I saw the guy saying that Homer sprung out of a dark ages where there was no language. <laughs> and I, I felt the same way. I immediately reacted. And I was like, what did I just listen mm-hmm. to? And I was mad. And of course, you know, my version of that one, it's that like I'm a lot more righteous because it was nonsense. Um, but like immediately replied, and I was like, "No, none of that is true." Like, here's why. And so I, that's the difference too is like the the type of anger. But I mean, I'll admit, like it's the same ultimately response yeah. of just being like, "I am angry that I just learned this because it challenged mm-hmm. my viewpoint." Mm-hmm. It's just that I know my viewpoint is right. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. And and within conspiracism in general, like feelings and emotions are a big part of that, which is also why facts don't entirely help. Um, just yeah. throwing facts at people are, aren't going to change minds very easily. It's not impossible. It's just not going to be the most effective because it is more about feelings and emotions mm-hmm. and, and that visceral reaction to something than it is about a fact. And you see that mm-hmm. in the reactions and the social media comments um, about that show where people are like, well, you know, I was open-minded until I saw the archaeologist getting mad and throwing out these ad hominem attacks and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it's not the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just challenging one's worldview. It elicits mm-hmm. quite a reaction. Because mm-hmm. essentially you're you're also sort of challenging um, this idea of community. Uh, and so mm-hmm. like communities are built around shows like this or theories like this or or the show's host Um, there are some Mm -hmm. theories that really attract people but there are certain within pseudo-archaeology i know there's like certain um, proponents that do attract very strong following specifically for them that show host being one of them where people Mm -hmm. will believe anything he says because it's him who's saying it and so you've got this community of very like-minded individuals following him who have found each other and support each other and now all of a sudden that community is being challenged um 
it's the same for like, you know, religious movements or cults for lack of a better term, why it's very hard to break people out of these groups is, you know, why, why would you willingly leave this community who's accepted you for who you are and, and these ideas that you have. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another reason people react so strongly in certain cases is that adherence to community, their communities under threat. So they mm-hmm. think. That reminds me of another thing that I think is a real contributor to these problems, um, which is so the the host of the Netflix show, the reason why that community exists is primarily because he's written a lot of books over a very long time. And mm-hmm. people have read those books and become fans and liked his ideas and all these things. And it reminds me of something that comes up often on Twitter, like I, a couple times a year, I swear, but has been for a long time. And I have always had like a, a direct connection which, with it, um, which is that like, so typically books that are published by like big trade publishers the big mm-hmm. five, I think there are now, there keep being fewer and fewer, but you know, companies like Penguin Random House and HarperCollins and all mm. of these, like it tends to be mm-hmm. that nonfiction books published by publishers like that are not fact-checked unless the author wants it to be fact-checked and is willing to pay mm-hmm. for it. And that is not something mm-hmm. that most people know. And it comes up so often. And I swear there's like a book a year that gets published and there's something that's really wrong and people get really mad and they're like, how did this get through fact checking? And then a bunch of people who do know have to get on there and kind of explain like, actually, while you think maybe that's something that should happen, even when it comes to nonfiction books that are purporting to have real knowledge that's important, it doesn't actually happen. An author would have to push for it. They would have to pay for it. That rarely happens because authors don't make enough that they want to pay for it. Mm. And like... Mm -hmm. It's funny because it's it's always shocking to people. Like I swear this level of like shock and awe and disgust happens on Twitter so often. But I used to work in publishing and like I would mm-hmm. <laughs> mostly I would also deal with like actual invoices for that being done. And like I think that I saw two over three years of doing that job wow. of like a book actually being fact checked. <laughs> because it's not common. It's an extra expense. Publishing is cheap. <laughs> like but it, it so it just makes me think of all of this man's books. Mm-hmm. Um which purport to have all this knowledge and be historical and like groundbreaking and all these things. And it's like, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. he could say anything though, ultimately like, and, and that applies to so many trade published books yeah. Um, yeah. that so many things happen like that. It reminds me of the Da Vinci code. Remember when that came out and like mm. a, a huge number of people, yep. it connects, I think really well to the national treasure thing you were talking about. Yeah, because it does. Like, yeah. An enormous number of people, took what it was contained in the da vinci code and his other books and like ran with it and mm-hmm. were so convinced that at least parts of it were true and mm-hmm. it makes me think of that soft disclosure i think that must be mm-hmm. like a great example of that where it's like well this is like yeah. i don't remember if it was the illuminati or what conspiracy it was but like yeah, yeah this is the truth like you know uh, yeah thankfully i don't remember most of the claims in that book but i do remember <laughs> the explosion yeah. of people believing it yes yes it's true and even today periodically that one comes up da vinci code comes up again and mm. and people yeah there still seems to be this fierce idea that um or stri- strict idea that parts of it were true i see that yeah. pop up periodically and and the that's actually yeah a common tactic too with certain um pseudark books is they count on the inability to fact check. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. why some books are just so 
thick and, and why these authors pull so much from so many different sources of information and, and different places and fields and whatnot is because they're also counting on their audience not to be able to do the work of fact-checking or, or looking into every single source of information. It gives this appearance of being really knowledgeable and really well studied, um, but it's just a tool to pull the wool over the audience's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more things mm-hmm. and the more things that you reference that are factual mixed in with mm-hmm. theories, it, it really yeah. yeah makes it incredibly difficult to to piece one thing from another, which I think is what yeah. made the Da Vinci Code such a big thing was because he did talk about a lot of history and art and all these different things that were true and accurate. And, and even like yeah. that, that is fiction explicitly. And yet still it became this enormous thing. So I can only imagine, you know, what it takes yeah. or like how easily, like something that says it's nonfiction, you know, mm-hmm. and references all of these things from reality, like how easy it is to take all of it as true, mm-hmm. regardless of, of what it ultimately says. Exactly. And it, it presents itself as looking and sounding very authoritative. And then they also, mm-hmm. the other thing that sort of gets used um, sneakily is this idea this like citational circles where these guys are all citing Mm. each other just over and over and over again (laughs) all of their different books and all of their shows and their podcasts and everything they mention the same names over and over and over again um because that also lends an air of authority of like oh you know i keep seeing this name pop up uh in like Mm -hmm. these seven books over here they all talked about this person here and this person here talked about those seven people as well so they must know what they're talking about. Yeah. 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 Another characteristic of stigmatized knowledge claims. Thank you, Michael Barkin, for writing that down. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. 
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50. And it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. I mean, it's so wild, but it also makes so much sense when you break it down in these ways. And I think this is something that you brought up when we talked for Atlantis, which Mm -hmm. is like, is also making a point to not, you know, immediately blame people. I think I'm sure you said Mm -hmm. it way better, but like, this idea, like it is really easy to fall into that stuff because unless you know any better, it's so easy to look at these things and, and see all this like yeah authoritative language citing so many mm-hmm. different people all it, it's so easy to to take that as truth and like it doesn't make yeah. somebody you know stupid because they did it, it's yeah. just a matter of like yeah it, it, it's not hard when somebody pre- presents it to you in that way yeah exactly I, I'll never fault anyone for falling for this stuff um regardless of what show or, or video or whatever it is, because yeah, if, if you're not sure, and again, that comes down to access, who has access to the knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy for me to look at things and be like, oh man, that was all cherry picked and pulled together. And that's not the actual mm-hmm. context because I have that access to that information. Not everybody has that access. So it's easy to fall into these things. Um, so yeah, I'll never fault anyone for finding themselves there by accident. Um, the, the thing that matters is how you react or what you do when you know, um, after the fact, when somebody's been like, Hey, you know what, that's, that's not really true. That's not, um, presented in, in the actual, or it's been taking out context or, or whatever. Like, that's the important thing is what do you do after now you have this knowledge being given to you? Um, Mm -hmm. that's what counts at least to me. That's what is important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was something I really wanted to emphasize when I was covering Atlantis is, is to come at it. Like it's absolutely fine. If you had no idea, I'm just here to tell you, you know, and, and it, it, yeah. Cause it is so easy. Like I didn't know, you know, for the longest time and I was fascinated by Greek mythology, but like, 
the world we live mm-hmm. in presents these things as if they are, you know, mysterious, as if Atlantis is a Greek myth or, you know, all these different things. And people do want mystery, mm-hmm. you know, like we were talking about mm-hmm. before. Mystery is exciting. And mm-hmm. so I understand the desire for it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, once once it's kind of pointed out to you how it's not a mystery and how suggesting it is a mystery can often be problematic, you know, that's when you got to kind of turn around yeah. and, and take a look. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you want to keep watching these things, I mean, keep watching them. Um, mm-hmm. But like maybe then participate and, and um, pull up that responsibility to confront those um, terrible uses of it. Or if you see mm-hmm. like people, you know, who are starting to really fall for these things in the not so great ways um, and you recognize that, say something, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. And, and I think too, for, you know, archeologists, we also need to work on finding better ways to engage and, and um, react to these things more collectively, uh, I think would also make a big difference um, mm-hmm. and and learn more about what might work, what doesn't really work, what makes things worse. And let's just, you know, collectively work together as well on our side to engage with these and, and confront things like this. Mm-hmm. I think everyone should work together and come up with a big, great, exciting idea for a TV show that sounds like a mystery, sounds like it's just as exciting as all the pseudo-archaeology, but actually secretly presents only accurate information. And yes, I have already tried (laughs) to pitch these ideas so far. They have not worked, but I am still hoping that we will just get a show (laughs) that's like super high budget and documentary and amazing, but also accurate Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) it'll happen it will happen one day i know it (sighs) goals yeah it's hard i would love to watch a show like that i love the idea of like here's a thing how did it come to be Um, yeah so like even thinking about atlantis people want to talk about atlantis all right let's do a show about atlantis talking about how it got from plato to what it is now um I i think that would be so interesting I know. It's great. People want to hear it. Like they want to hear it because it's fascinating the way Atlantis did, you know, become Mm -hmm. what it is. And and then you still Mm -hmm. have this like mystery of Atlantis. Like Atlantis is a mystery. It's just that the mystery is how it went from Plato to what it is now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And we have kind of the answers. But yeah, yeah, and ancient, you know, ancient aliens theories. It's the same thing that the history of how ancient aliens theories became a thing yeah it's so yeah. interesting and it draws from so many of the same sources of atlantis as atlantis as well so like i yeah i think that would be just so interesting and i feel like it would it would hit on that idea that conspiracy sells um people mm-hmm. would be drawn to it and interested for that and i think they would come out of it learning a lot more. like i know when i talk about things like that and i break things down um i get a lot of comments back being like oh that was really interesting like i didn't know about mm-hmm. this beforehand i didn't know about that like it just i think people would be really really interested in that um mm-hmm. yeah yeah i just i mean i think all of this stuff is so exciting we just all and i know a lot of archaeologists talk about this too like finding ways to make it clear how exciting actual archaeology and actual history is um, mm-hmm. because I think that for the longest time it's just come across as stuffy or like not for mm-hmm. everybody or, you know, yeah. you have to, you know, be in, in academia or whatever to, to handle it. And like, 
it really is all so fascinating and like that's certainly what i've been trying to do with this show for like almost six years now but and i think it's working but like there needs to be more yeah. of this like and on tv <laughs> primarily somebody needs to give us tv yeah. money to make a show yeah. about oh, yeah, how atlantis got to be atlantis like that would be fascinating to look at that it would be it would be so interesting (laughs) yeah it's such a fascinating transition and i'm sure that you know all the one the the conspiracies and conspirituality and like pseudo-archaeology that you look at like i don't know as much about it because it's not greek but like (laughs) i'm sure there are so many instances of that too where like just looking at how something becomes what it is you know it is just so fascinating in itself yeah, I do a lot of that in as I'm like researching, as I'm like writing a paper, or putting something together, something pops up and I'm always like, wait, where did this idea come from? Mm-hmm. And always just tracing back and looking back and being like, how did it get to what it is? Like, this sounds so wild and, and outlandish. Um, wh- where did this possibly come from? And it's so interesting to trace that history back, like an archaeology of pseudo archaeology. Um mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, or the archaeology of extraordinary claim, as I've called it sometimes. Hmm. Um, it's just, yeah, it's so interesting. And and I think that it also sort of like helps. Um, how do I phrase it? Like, it's just it's something that people are just generally interested in. Like, it's something it's a, a reaction or a proactive thing to talk about the history of something and how something was developed is a really good proactive mm-hmm. tool as well if we are concerned about what people are taking away from these things or how we can sort of break into that a little bit snap some attention um away from Mm -hmm. these things because it's kind of it's the idea of like a a a magic trick and when you reveal the sleight of hand it sort of loses that um that mystery um but we need to if we're trying to get pull the mystery out of something we need to also replace it with um something a a new narrative an actual factual truthful narrative that's just as interesting and it is just as interesting but it's people are so focused on the pseudo arc that it's hard to break through but i yeah Mm -hmm. i love tracing ideas back i think it's so interesting when you find out where Mm -hmm. an idea came from and often they like intertwine with the same historical sources like freaking blavatsky it's always blavatsky Uh, she pops up (laughs) i was waiting for you to say that right (laughs) it's always blavatsky uh she yeah she's everywhere and it just but that's really interesting um yeah i don't know i'm like i'm a huge dork i i accept that that i'm interested in these things because i am a huge dork but i think it is just genuinely something people are interested based on comments that i get from folks people are interested in learning those histories Mm -hmm. i think especially when it's presented in a way that like keeps them excited and like yeah. yeah, I mean, even just the way you talk about it, it, it's the same as how I talk about all the Greek myths where it's like, I'm so excited to tell you this niche thing, like the level of detail that I now go into because of how long I've been doing this and how obsessive I am with the ancient sources is like, I'm here to tell you for like 15 minutes straight where one idea, you know, for one God came from and how it's completely the opposite of this other idea. And let me explain like ancient sources and all the intricacies and like people want to yeah. hear it somehow yeah. because I am so pumped and nerdy about this because it is so fascinating so you just need like you need those people Mm -hmm. who are equally nerdy and weird Mm -hmm. and just like want to tell you about it because it makes it so much easier to take in and like yeah yeah, it immediately gets you excited i think it's kind of the same thing as those the shows that present these ideas with such white man confidence that Mm -hmm. Like you immediately believe it like we can do that Mm -hmm. too without (laughs) without the white man confidence and just with like 
nerds being nerdy and like being yeah. thrilled to talk about something. It's the same <laughs> yes, effect, exactly. I think. <laughs> right. Right. It really does. Yeah. It's so it's so exciting. Sometimes I do this with my like brother 12 stuff too. Maybe I just live in my own little mm-hmm. brother 12 bubble. But like every time I reread brother 12 stuff, I find something new that suddenly explains something else, something else about mm-hmm. him all of a sudden makes sense. And I'm just like, wow, ah, this is so interesting. Like, and I'll, you know, I'll usually share these things on Twitter and there's my like random little brother 12 things. Um, Cause it is so interesting when you find that like piece that suddenly like, Oh, all of that suddenly makes sense. Why he's saying this. It's because of this. Mm-hmm. It's the same for, for this kind of stuff. Ancient aliens and Atlantis things. It's like these things kind of seem really like goofy. There's some like particular variants of Atlantis and ancient alien stuff that are so wild. that it's like, how could this possibly be a thing? And then mm-hmm. when you find that trail that led to it, like it's, yeah, see, I'm nerding out, I'm dorking out again about it. No, um, <laughs> it's, really it's just it's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I know. I mean, it's just as exciting as the actual conspiracy. So we just need to get louder about mm-hmm. it, I think, is the key. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes, I think so. Um, so any like television executives that are obviously yes. listening to this, please get in touch. Yeah. We have some great yeah. ideas about an Atlantis show and you could market it yeah. exactly yeah. like all the Atlantis shows that want to prove that Atlantis is real and they want to find it. You can market it like that and then get people mm-hmm. in and they're going to get all the same viewers. And then we're just going to explain how it went from this random thing that Plato said that nobody cared about at all to mm-hmm. what it is today. <laughs> right. Well, you know, even think about like, your podcast right like you have a big it's a very popular podcast you have a very big audience could you imagine like turning your podcast into a television program a visual because some people really like that visual side of things some people like to just listen some people like the visual like even just turning your podcast into an episodic um show where like yeah you've got the folks who you interview on the show in these episodes and then going off to the places that you're talking that would be so cool super super interesting i've been trying to do that too yeah (laughs) so many goals and plans and schemes but oh my god turns out (laughs) that hollywood works very slowly and also they Mm -hmm. are not as nerdy as i would like them to be (laughs) no we got we gotta find the the nerds we will find the nerds in hollywood and make this happen gotta be there yeah yeah goals oh my gosh Well, my brain feels like there's probably more for us to talk about, um, but I've also kept you for an hour and a half. Um, and also, uh, I feel like I am utter smush as much as I would like my brain to be more functioning. Um, but like <laughs> when it comes to anything about any of these topics, like is there, mm-hmm. I mean, is there anything I, I guess, but also if you have time, because please stop me if you just need to go. No, um, no, no, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> like, but yeah, I mean, is there anything else in terms of like how you often present these ideas or like the way you talk about it in your work that you think is like really beneficial for people to know or to just, I don't know, anything else you want to say? <laughs> so sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. It's uh, just reiterating the fact that like, I'm not, I'm not mad or, or sad at, at people who get really swept into things like this. It, it happens. Um, just go, you know, 
think about the characteristics that we've talked about looking for these, you know, you hear these really big grand explanations, you're sort of seeing like a little bit of a strange leap in logic. Um, the moment you see these claims that somebody's trying to suppress some sort of truth, just use that as like a, a bit of a light bulb, a bit of a red flag moment and, and spend a bit of extra time going in and seeking out some sources um, or approaching an archaeologist on social media or email or whatever. Um, just, yeah, spend a little bit of extra time critically thinking about what you're, what you're looking at. Um, and yeah, that's sort of my big takeaway message. And then for folks who do want to learn more about how to engage with these things and confront with these things. Um, I mean, I have so many resources that I'm happy to, to share with folks and talk about folks with about, you know, this is maybe not a great way to react on social media because of this. Um, mm -hmm. So let's try this instead. Um, let's, you know, collectively work together and find some solutions. Um, but yeah, just keep, keep your eyes and ears open. Be, be critical. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. okay to be critical of things. And also don't forget that criticism is not censorship. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's so interesting because it's like, I feel like those, that, complaint doesn't go both ways you know yeah because it's always people yeah. defending their ideas that are usually nonsense that are calling something censorship mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah exactly uh, it's also interesting yep. yeah well and anytime that there is one that even remotely uh you know comes in line with the ancient mediterranean i'm gonna try to talk about it on my show <laughs> so that'll help exactly yep at the exactly. very least it's also a funny comment from like the folks who are really into pseudoarch or proponents of pseudoarch who are like, well, you archaeologists are all just like super duper closed minded. And it's like, well, no, like I read your books and I, I watch your presentations and sometimes I even try to go to your conferences and your special events. Like I'm trying to be in there as you seem to want us to be in there. Um, but yeah, the moment I, I criticize something or I'm skeptical of something, all of a sudden it's like we're shut out, but then told that we're being closed. It's just a weird, a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's just, it's one of those things that's really hard to understand because it lacks co in logic completely. <laughs> it's like, no, yeah. Like, we're, yeah. Like we're, but we're not like, but you want us to be because it, that is what fits your narrative. So you're never going to mm -hmm. actually like accept the fact that actually mm -hmm. like archeologists by and large want, to learn more and want to understand and like want to mm -hmm. and i mean it, i think this this came up a lot in in the conversation around that show and then just anything in the world of pseudo-archaeology but it's like this idea mm -hmm. i mean it connects this idea that like archaeologists are hiding anything but it's like no like archaeologists mm -hmm. would want you to know not least because they're all just enormous nerds who who mm -hmm. want the information out there but also because like mm -hmm your careers rely on you publishing information. If you found something that's ridiculously cool, if somebody found Atlantis, somebody is po is going to publish about it. They're going to talk about it either because they're an enormous nerd and they want to spread the news or because they want their career to blow up. Like there's just so many reasons why it, mm -hmm. if these big, you know, outlandish mm -hmm. ideas were true, like we would know about it. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And that's also like a very key characteristic of pseudoarch in general is constantly like disparaging academia, painting academia in this really terrible light of, of the uh, suppressors and, um, you know, we're really, really terrible, but then at the same time, desperate for the approval of academia. Mm -hmm. 
always being like, oh, you guys are terrible. Like you're suppressing all this stuff, but I need you to look and acknowledge what I found. Like, mm-hmm. what, what what is it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. If we acknowledge it, then are we okay? Like, it's like, it, it, you know, if archaeologists were to suddenly acknowledge these things as truthful, like, would they suddenly, would they turn around and be like, well, the archaeologists are right. They're not hiding anything. Like, yeah. 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 It's fascinating. Yeah. Well, it is. Um, I will, <laughs> I will finish this all off by telling you and my listeners about an author who I will not name, but who has requested to be on my show at least two times, it might be three times to talk about how mm. he has found Atlantis and mm-hmm. how this is, it, 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 he's without a doubt located it physically on a map. And I'm like, mm. I mean, one, I'm not entertaining that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, mm-hmm. oh, but like, not, <laughs> then where is it? Where are the pictures? Yeah. Show me. Yeah. Somebody else has got to go find it if you said you found it. And it's just, every time I read the blurb that it gets sent to me so often, I'm just like, well, how could you say you found something when you're still the only person talking about it? <laughs> yeah. You know, the moment you start saying that there was a particular person who first came to mind, who was like, I wonder if it's that person. And I know we've talked about that person last time. Um, the emailer. This is a different one. Yeah. And then I started to think like, so at first I thought, Oh, is it that person? And then I was like, you know, <laughs> even just scrolling Reddit the other week, I came across like three different people being very certain that they, they've oh got the God. proof. They found Atlantis. They just need someone to listen to it. And so now I'm like, well, no, I could be anybody. Yeah. Well, this guy um, has written a book about it. You see that is available on Amazon. Mm. Um, but also Ooh, he's a doctor. I do know. Mm-hmm. He uses the I... word doctor a lot in his title, but also it's mm-hmm. of, like engineering or something. <laughs> I'm like, well, mm. okay. It's always engineers. That is a, a thing, <laughs> an actual thing. They are, really, they can find Atlantis mm-hmm. because the archaeologists archaeologists cannot. Like <laughs> yeah, oh well, yeah. Gosh. Engineers really, in and pseudoarch is is a thing. Um, Interesting. I think, actually, I do know who you're talking about because I think I might have that book. Ooh. okay well we'll talk about yeah. this once we've wrapped yeah, up yeah. Um, <laughs> well thank you so much for doing this i'm sorry that my brain has been mush we're gonna put it together and it's gonna sound a lot like my brain was less mushy but so the listeners know it's been a day um but yeah can you tell my listeners where to find you where to read more whatever you want to share about this wild conspirituality and pseudo-archaeology world you exist in oh my gosh I love that word can you tell I just want to say conspirituality as much as possible conspirituality yep yep it's it's a lovely (laughs) word yeah because it just kind of flows um I you know Twitter and and Mastodon now because who knows what's happening with Twitter Mm -hmm. um are still good places to find me which uh just cult underscore archaeo um if you send me a dm on either of those and I don't respond it's more likely that I just didn't see it. Um, But yeah, I'm there. Those are the best, easiest places to find me. Uh, Nerds, thank you as always for listening. As much as this isn't about any one specific topic in the ancient Mediterranean, I really do think it's so important to bring attention to the things that have become so popular and what dangers they actually pose. 
particularly when it comes to real archaeology and how these people in their so-called documentaries malign real archaeologists who are doing real and interesting and important work when it comes to understanding human history. Real archaeology is fun and nerdy and fascinating, and honestly, real archaeologists just want to share everything they know. They're not hiding anything. They're too nerdy and too desperate to publish to hide anything. Just think about these things the next time you come across these types of media. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy them, you can't laugh, whatever you want. Just keep in mind what's going on in the background, even if it's not obvious on the surface. Who they're insulting and who they're suggesting are lying or hiding the truth and what dangers that may pose to the wider world and our understanding of human history and what human beings are and were very capable of doing all over the world. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians and handles so many podcast-related things. Truly, any and everything, Michaela is a lifesaver. Stephanie Foley works to transcribe the podcast for YouTube captions and accessibility. The podcast is hosted and monetized by iHeartMedia. Help me continue bringing you the world of Greek mythology and the ancient Mediterranean by becoming a patron, where you'll get bonus episodes and more. Visit patreon.com slash mitsbaby or click the link in this episode's description. I am Liv, and obviously, I love this shit. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? 
You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50. And it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to be. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. 